Isaiah has a personal experience in which God purges his sin. He experiences the forgiveness of the Lord. He experiences the empowering of God's spirit. And so Isaiah becomes the Isaiah that God needs him to be to take the word to the people. And he becomes an illustration of how Israel becomes Israel she needs to be because of the, through the same way. How is Israel's sins going to be purged is the question. Isaiah answered it in chapter 53. The servant of the Lord is going to take the iniquity of the people upon his back. He's going to pay her price. Her sins will be purged through his sacrifice. Isaiah 55. Isaiah calls the nation. Ho, come unto me, all you who are thirsty. Come unto me, all you who have need. And and. God will provide what's necessary. The invitation of Isaiah 55, come and be transformed. Now, when we experience the transformation of God, our life radically changes. Now, here's the, I was, I was talking to some folks earlier today. Here's the uh, rub. Here's the rub. The rub is we tend to want to look day by day by day by day, and we don't notice it. I've, I've shared with you guys before, I've, I got a new puppy. And when you have a new puppy and you watch it, I, I know the puppy's grown, but I don't notice it. You know what I mean? It's just like all of a sudden I realize, oh, it's too big to sit in my lap anymore, right? Or it's, 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 it's now, now it can jump in the bed. We don't notice growth when it's happening right in front of our eyes. But when we look at it over time, we do. And that was this all kind of came to light when we did Shirley Baxley's service uh, uh last week and um you know shirley had pancreatic cancer went home to be with the lord all my experience with shirley was amazing i mean she was always smiling and super kind and wonderful wonderful lady of god just incredible and i asked her kids was she always like this and they're like no <laughs> no she was a wreck you know, she was an alcoholic. She had, she had liver failure at a very early age. They had to do surgery to save her life. She didn't get saved till she was 64. But the transformation when she was 64 till she went home to be with the Lord, that's when I enter into the picture post-saved. So I don't see the transformation. You guys get what I'm saying? But those who knew her the longest do. You know, I've been here 10 years, but there's not been a huge transformation in my life in 10 years. You know, unless you worry about my hair and beard, <laughs> then maybe there has been. But, the, but there's not been this, this crazy change in my life. But if you knew me 25 years ago, there has been. You get what I'm saying? And sometimes as believers, what we do is we look, well... We look after Christ. Now we've got Christ working and moving in our life. And we say things to try to be encouraging to one another. Like every day we want to be closer, right? But we also need to recognize that once we entered into Christ, there's now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We want to draw nearer to him. The radical change occurred when we came to Christ. You get what I'm saying? This is what Israel, the nation, needed at the time of Isaiah. So Isaiah prophesies about it. He prophesies that there will be a day where the struggle that you're having, there will be a transformation that will be so radical. He describes it like all the nations of the world are going to come to you. 
And that's what we see in, in the life of believers today when people get saved. That's what we see. And when we come to Isaiah 59, what, what God is saying through the prophet Isaiah is, look, you need to understand what separates you from God. That's why it's important that you don't make Isaiah 59 all about Israel and not about you. Because the same problems they had, you got. The same issues, the same distractions. We have, that, we have all that stuff. And the point of Isaiah 59 is God's the answer. It's not your own personal willpower. This, is, this has been an eternal struggle since the time of Paul in the church. Okay, the battle between legalism and freedom and the, and the idea and the balance that we walk in that because I'm not free to sin, but I don't perfect myself by just trying harder. I perfect myself by focusing on Christ and following him. You get what I'm saying? It's not about I got to try not steal, try not steal, try not steal. No, forget it. Forget all that stuff. What I need to do is follow Jesus. Follow Jesus and I won't steal. You hear what I'm saying? So there, there, there's this call. That it's God whose arm is not too short to save. Not Jackie's. Jackie's arm will always mess up. When, when I become the best person I can be is when I'm following Christ. And as long as I'm following Christ, then I'm the best me. I'm the best version of me that there will be until I'm perfected in him. Does that make sense? So Isaiah 59 is, a, is about this idea. It's about this journey. And we want to see it. Okay, so what separates me from God? Well, first thing that we need to understand is it's not God. God doesn't separate me from God. That's something I do. Look at verse 1. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor is his ear dull that it cannot hear. So in a moment we're going to talk about the idea that God doesn't hear us, and, and uh, which are, are all anthropomorphic statements. You guys know what that means? So that's a statement, a human statement to try to understand someone who's not human, right? God's not human. He's Yahweh. He's transcendent. He's bigger. <clears throat> so he's trying to relate to us and say, <clears throat> here's what happens. When you sin, I don't hear you. But it's not that my ears don't work. Is that I choose not to listen anymore because we have something between us needs to be dealt with. So he's saying, it's not that God's arm is short, that he's too weak or incapable. It's not that his ears are plugged, that he can't hear. It's not God. The issue is not him. He's got the things necessary to solve the problem. God's not incapacitated, nor is he unconcerned. This is the point that he's getting to. It says in verse 2, what the problem is, is our spiritual condition, where we are. Look, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your iniquities. The nation of Israel's iniquities, yours and my iniquities, they make a separation. Now we come to Romans, uh, was it Romans chapter 8, it says nothing can separate us from the love of God, right? You're not separated from his love. But you're not following him if you're regarding your own iniquity. Do you get that? There's no growth, there's no change, there's no transformation if you're loving your sin. 
you can't follow Jesus and do that at the same time. So I end up in the one place you never want to be. Is it hard to believe, but I played tennis in high school. Do you guys, anybody, tennis players? Coach football played tennis. I don't know how those two things worked out. But when I played tennis, there's a thing in tennis called no man's land. And there's a part in the court that you don't want to be standing in. If you're standing there, you're in between where the balls are going to bounce or where they're in the air. So you're in no man's land. You don't know what to do. You don't know to hit it in the air, hit it when it bounces. You, you, you tracking with me? So the point is I don't want to be in no man's land. My walk in Christ, I can be in no man's land. If I'm regarding sin, I'm holding on to all these things, I'm in a place where I'm separated from following him. You tracking? I'm not... Step for that's not an automatic. That's something I choose to do, right? I get up in the morning, I choose to follow Christ, or I choose to do a hundred million other things, right? But he's saying, look, here's the problem. What's separating us, what's dividing us, what's holding us back? Our iniquity has made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Now, this is reconcilable. Right? This is not irreconcilable differences. This is reconcilable unless you just pretend it's not there. That's the value in, in recognizing and making the statement that I'm broken. I'm a sinner. That's what I mean. I'm incomplete. I, I'm just saying I'm a sinner. But I don't think we hear those words. When we say I'm a sinner, you know, oh, me too. You know, but did it really mean anything? Currently, it seems like nowadays being broken or incomplete, maybe that carries more weight. You got another word for it? I don't care what word you use. The point is the idea that we fall short of the glory of God. We need him. Not just once in our life. Not just to come forward and pray a prayer. Not just to proclaim him as Lord and Savior. We need him every single day in order to be the men and women God's calling us to be. I need him. And when I choose sin, I find myself in a place of separation. And the answer is him, not stronger effort against trying to sin. Right? You get what I mean? It's not about, you know, trying not to drink or trying not to have sex or trying not to, whatever the thing is. Just follow Jesus. Right? If I'm following Jesus, I'm not doing that. We all know it. We all have experienced it in our, in our own walks, and this is what the issue is. So the issue is not that God's not capable of delivering us. The issue is we are not taking the deliverance that God has provided. We love our sin, and our sin holds us back. So what's the characteristic of our sin? Okay, our spiritual condition, and we're broken, we're incomplete. What's the characteristics of that? Well, that's what he's going to talk about the next five verses, three through eight. He's going to say, for your hands, here's the issue, your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue mutters wickedness. No one enters a suit justly. If I had my way, no one would ever enter a suit. But that's a different suit. No one goes to law honestly. They rely on empty pleas. They speak lies. They conceive mischief and give birth to iniquity. They hatch adder's eggs and they weave the spider's web. He who eats their egg dies. And from one that is crushed, a viper is hatched. 
Works of iniquity and deeds of violence are in their hands. Their feet run to evil. They are swift to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Desolation and destruction are in their highways. The way of peace they do not know. There is no justice in their path. They have made their roads crooked. No one treads, no one who treads on them knows peace. So, so when, I don't know about you guys, but when I read Isaiah 59, 3 through 8, it reads like a biography. If it doesn't read like a biography, I get concerned. Because there's this, this thing called self-righteousness. That I don't need the Lord, I'm, I'm a good person. And we live in an area where it runs rampant. Idaho, Utah, there are some religious systems that elevate self-effort and making yourself holy. And we start thinking that there's a look that is holy. And I think it's kind of funny because all of our looks are cultural. Once upon a time, a crazy guy who looked like me wore... uh, camel skin and ate locusts and honey and people called them holy isaiah walked around naked and preached well that wouldn't be okay nowadays but he was considered holy you guys get what i'm saying and why why does god have his people do all these weird things i think it's just because of that so we don't start thinking well i gotta have long hair and a beard and wear camel skin no it doesn't matter how you look what were they doing following the lord what was isaiah doing following the lord don't make it so complicated it's just about following the lord it's not about i've been to churches where where they one of their jokes is it's a requirement to have a beard but they're just joking but that's you know people have their thing whatever their thing is and other people have a different thing but when I read this, Isaiah 59, 3 through 8, this is what I know. I know, because I know me, I know my hands are defiled with blood. I don't know if you know that. But you should. You're, you should. Daniel went into exile. Now, of Daniel, we know, we know of no particular sin. I know he's a human being, so he sinned. Okay, but I don't know of a particular failure for him. But when he was 16, he was taken away to live in a foreign land under a foreign king. He was made a eunuch, which, by the way, is not a pleasant experience. Uh, nowadays, maybe you could do that with surgery. Then they just use big hammers. So at 16, he didn't choose that. What was the exile about? The exile was about the sinfulness of his nation. And individuals were held responsible. If that's true at Daniel's, is our nation swift to shed innocent blood? Yeah. And we sell it around the world. Somewhere in a neighborhood of 60 million preborn babies so far. That's a lot of blood. If the blood of Abel cried out to God, what does the blood of 60 million babies? Are your hands defiled with the shedding of innocent blood? If Daniel was guilty for the sin of his nation, 
Are we less? Their hands were defiled, your fingers with iniquity, your lips have spoken lies. So we have these, what, four divisions. Here's the four divisions, the characteristics of our sin and rebellion. Number one, acts of violence and terror. Acts of violence and terror. Hands defiled with blood, deeds of violence are in their hands, and they are swift to shed innocent blood. Paul, in his epistle, said, not only is this a problem, but it's a problem when you approve of it. I remember when I read that, when I first read that in Scripture, I, I thought about how, how do I approve of it? Well, I, I pay to watch it. I used to always say, I don't watch, you know, movies, sex, and, uh, you know, nudity and all that stuff. But, man, I love violence. I can't get enough of violence. Give me the violent. And then I read what Paul says, and I'm like, I'm, I'm convicted, right? I feel the Spirit convicting me, saying, uh, are you approving of, of violence? Do you, do you send them your money? You encourage the development and, and and that does that have an effect? I, you know, I don't know. I'm not trying to blame other things. I'm just saying, we are a land full of violence and bloodshed. We are the bloodiest people in history. The United States of America <laughs> have the greatest blessing and the greatest curse. Right? We like to kill people. I don't care how you do it. I, 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 it doesn't matter to me. I'm. This is not a second amendment question at all this is just a nature of man question right hands swift shed blood so there's acts of violence and terror the second thing is there's lying and deceit oh is that true man your lips have spoken lies my lips have lied what does that make me thank you yeah and if you have lied what does it make you yeah if you've stolen what's it make you yeah, this is not complicated, right? It's not complicated. Uh, and, and, and nor is this something where you have a, a, a God that you can't come to with these things. That's not what you have. You have a God who gets angry when you don't, when you pretend. But when you come to him and say, Lord, forgive me, humble yourself, what does God do? He forgives you, right? He cleanses that's how that Israel becomes this one, right? This is the process that God wants us to understand. They rely on empty pleas and they speak lies, right? He says, no one enters into a, a suit honestly. Everybody lies when they go to court. Everybody lies. When I, read a, I recently read um, Justin Peterson's book. He's not a believer. Um, he's, he's a mess, like just like everybody else. But I read his book and one of the chapters in his book 12 things to do or or whatever i'm not very good alzheimer's setting in but whatever the thing was one of them was one of his rules was always speak the truth that's a good rule but in the church we struggle with that well can't always tell the truth right i mean what if my wife asked me does this make me look fat i don't know ask her not to ask you that no more did did god tell us to lie is there ever lying's not okay it's a that's that in itself is a lie of the enemy always if a pagan unbelieving man can say we should always speak the truth 
And, and the Bible tells us that exact thing, doesn't it? When people think, I got to lie. I, I, I can't trust that the court's going to work things out. I can't trust that things are, I got to lie. Make my case better. Well, these are the characteristics of sin and rebellion in a relationship between people and their God that separates us. That stops us from being in a place where we're following him like we ought to. Leviticus 19.11 says, You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. I don't know if that gets any plainer. Right? So it's not ever okay. When I lie, it makes me a liar. It means I'm not trusting God. It means I'm not following him. I've chosen I've come to a crossroad in my walk of life and I've chosen to go to the right because if I follow Jesus, that's too hard. Because he says, I'm the way, the, not I'm the way, the lie. Right? So, this is, these are the characteristics. Also, we have attitudes of destruction. Weave a spider's web. What's a spider's web do? Traps people, it works the work of destruction in people's lives their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity desolation and destruction are in their highways we have attitudes of destruction i know i absolutely know i have this stuff in me absolutely know it and i will not pretend it's not there so that i can satisfy someone else's weird idea of self-righteousness but I will confess it to my Lord and Savior so that I can continue to follow him. That makes sense? Man, I want to pursue him. They have an absence of peace. The way of peace they do not know. <laughs> Man. Listen, they have made their roads crooked. No one who treads on them knows peace. This is the characteristic of our rebellion and sin that separates us from God. <laughs> that makes me that Israel that falls short, not this Israel that everyone comes to for answers. Get the difference? So I need to recognize this is the characteristic of sin in my life. And what's the consequence of that? If those are the characteristics and those are things that I have churning within me, within my flesh, then what's the consequences? So it says in verse 9, Isaiah 59, therefore justice is far from us. That's the truest statement you can say about the United States of America right now. Justice is far from us and righteousness does not overtake us. Absolutely. That's the truest thing I, I think I've read today. Till the next one. Therefore, justice is far from us. Righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light and darkness and for brightness, but we walk in gloom. So just don't, don't look at it as all the failure of the nation. They're the, they're the illustration. Look at it as you. Look at it as me. I, I want to walk in the light, man, as he is in the light. But sometimes I make poor choices. Now, he's going to give us answers, but he's given us the condition first. And if we deny the condition, what do you care about the answer? Because we pretend that we've, we've got it all together. Verse 10, we grope for the wall like the blind. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon and in the twilight among those in full vigor. We are like dead men. <clears throat> so what's the, what's the consequence? We walk around 
in moral and spiritual darkness. We have moral failure. Is, is that something we see? What about with preachers? You never see moral failure with preachers? Yeah? And, and where do they find themselves? Stumbling around in the dark, right? How can that happen to a preacher? Because a preacher ain't no different than you. I wake up the same way you do. The thoughts that bounce around in your head bounce around in mine. The struggles that you have, I have. There's, no, there's nothing, not some special vaulted... Yeah, no, we have one thing in common. We are of the human condition. And as a human, we are broke. And without Christ, we will fail every single time. So we need him. We need to focus on that. So here's the consequences of our sin and rebellion, moral and spiritual dark, darkness. In verse 11, <clears throat> we all growl like bears. We moan and moan like doves. We hope for justice, but there is none for salvation, but it is far from us. The second consequence is we, there's no deliverance. We growl like bears. We moan. We cry. We bellyache. We hope for justice, we hope for salvation, but it just doesn't seem to come. Man, I've had these conversations with people that say, man, Jackie, I wish God would just take this thing away from me. I pray and pray and pray and pray that God would just take it away. I, 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 I'm a rager and I lose my temper and I rage on people. I just wish God would take it away. Why won't he give me victory? Why won't he give me salvation from this thing in my life? Stumble around in darkness and look for things because we love our sin. And we're not utilizing the tools that God gives us. And the other side is, God wants you to rely on him. So just like Paul praying, Lord, three times I prayed, God, take this thorn in my flesh. Yeah. A messenger from Satan that God gave to buffet me. That's a hard phrase to swallow, no? And I prayed, God, take it away. And God said, no. Because my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Paul, when you know you need me, that's the best place for you to be. The key is, will you live? Will you walk? Will you conduct your life in a way that says i know i need you for this next step whatever it is because that's what god wants right total reliance on him total reliance on him to overcome sin total reliance on him to be holy total reliance on him to be righteous that's the magic it's all him and then none me and I accomplish it not by self-will. I accomplish it when I follow him. Come, follow me. Come, follow me. How many times Jesus got to say it? Come, follow me. This is the message. This is what he wants us to understand. What's the other consequence? Verse 12. For our transgressions are multiplied before you. Our sin testifies against us. For our transgressions are with us. And we know our iniquities yeah for sure everybody else might not know them, but you know them. i know mine i know those things so there's 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 spiritual and moral darkness no deliverance and there's no denying my guilt because i know it 
I know it. And I think God spends more time in the scripture just asking us to be real. And that's where our freedom is. That's where we connect all the dots. That's where it takes place in our acknowledgement of brokenness, our acknowledgement of leprosy. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. I am willing. That's awesome stories. But it comes from the pursuit of him. Psalm 32 says this. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. What, what is it that the psalmist is declaring? If I do not live my life walking in an attitude of repentance and confession, that's me. And that is an attitude of reliance on him, right? Reliance for the next step. Reliance for the next morning. Reliance for the next decision. Whatever. That total reliance on him. Look, my bones waste away if I don't do this. Your hand is heavy upon me. I acknowledge. Here's what he says. Verse 5. I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgression to the Lord. And what's the result? You forgave how does this relationship work i confess you forgive i confess you forgive psalm 51 he says this have mercy on me O god according to your steadfast love according to your abundant mercy blot out my transgression wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me of my sin for i know my transgression and my sin is ever before me and against you. And you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Man, I'm guilty before I'm guilty. Before anyone else, I am guilty before a holy God. Confessing to him, seeking his forgiveness. Have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment? Man, I, I want to come before the Lord I don't want to be in denial. I want to be in confession. Moment by moment, day by day. These are consequences when we walk in sin. We, we walk in denial. I don't want to do that. I, I want to walk in honesty before God. And then we find ourselves morally and spiritually depraved, departing from God's presence, not following him. Look at verse 13 of Isaiah 59. Transgressing and denying the Lord, turning back from following our God. What have I just been saying? What is the issue? What is the separation? Not God didn't move. I did. I took a left or I took a right. I changed my direction from following our God. Speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart, lying words. So as soon as I <coughs> make that choice, I turn to the right or left. I'm the one who's departing from the Lord. I'm leaving that covering. So it says in verse 14, again, we're talking about these uh, consequences of our, of our rebellion. The consequence is next, we get further away from the truth. We get further away from honesty, not closer. Verse 14, justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away. The truth is stumbled in the public square and uprightness can't enter. 
So the consequence of my rebellion and sin, denying those things, stay, uh, walking in that and not following the Lord, I end up in darkness. I end up without deliverance. I find myself denying my situation. I've left the Lord. There's a departure from the Lord. And there's distance from the truth and distance from honesty. That's when I'm that Israel. But God prophesies about this one that everybody comes to. But, but, but that's who I am in reality. Without Christ, that's me. There's nothing I can do to get from there to there without him. Nothing I can do to accomplish the goal. So what, what was God's, what was the conclusion of this matter? It says in verse 15, truth is lacking. And he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. So God's not happy. How's that? He, you can say God's angry. You can say God's displeased. It doesn't really matter what, what word we use. All words we use like that about God are anthropomorphic. He's not human. We get that? He's other. He became man. So he is also... Holy Yahweh and holy man, right? You get what I'm saying? But the, he's, not, he's not like us. He just clothed himself in what we're clothed in so that he could try to bridge the gap. And language is one of those gaps. So, so God was angry. God was displeased. God was, is wrath. God is, does not like sin. Sin's not okay. God's not ever going to be okay with sin. So he's angry. He's displeased that there is no justice. <clears throat> Verse 16. So he looked and saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Now, sometimes we think about that and we use it as a motivation. Preachers are always good for finding motivation somewhere to try to make someone feel guilty and get him to go do something. So that's one of the verses we'll use. You know, God's looking for someone to stand in a gap. He looks and he doesn't see anyone. Maybe you're the one to stand in the gap. You guys have heard that. I've probably done that before. <laughs> I probably did it to Carol. But that's not what the verse is talking about. It says that, that he was amazed. Think of it like this. God's looking at the condition of mankind and mankind's brokenness. And here's what he's saying about all of man. There's no exception. He's saying man can't save himself. There's not even one who can intercede for another. Man can't save himself. Self-will is not going to do it. Your willpower may be greater than mine. And you may have enough willpower to become an incredible success in life. But you still can't touch the stars any more than I can. God is saying here, there's no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought salvation. God recognized the condition of man. Here's where God prophesies. Israel, where everybody comes to. Here's the reality. Israel that nobody wants to come to. How do I get all of mankind who is this to that? God says his own arm 
will save, bring salvation, and his righteousness upheld him. How is it that God takes that Israel and makes him there? God imputes righteousness. Abraham did not become righteous because he believed God. That's not what Scripture says. Scripture says Abraham believed God and it was imputed to him. God announced, made the proclamation, you're righteous. Was Abraham's acts always righteous? No, we know the stories, right? No, they weren't always. He's, he's that person. But God has made a pronouncement. God has made a declaration. God has imputed, added to his account, righteousness. Whose is it? It's God's righteousness, right? It's God's righteousness that's been added. So what does he say? My arm saves you. I'll take you from there to there. The humble who can make the acknowledgement that this is who I am. God says, the humble I will exalt. And the proud I will debase. You get it? So he's saying, look, my arm will save. I'll get you from here to there. And not only that, but my it's his righteousness appealed him. God is going to do the work. It's his arm. It's his righteousness. <clears throat> so he becomes the intercessor and the mediator of a better covenant. Look at verse 17. So he put on righteousness as a breastplate. Now, I, I believe he's talking about uh, Messiah. He's talking about his servant. He's talking about God in the flesh. He put on righteousness as a breastplate, helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing, wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak, and according to their deeds, so he will repay wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies, and to the coastlands he will render payment. This is the arm of the Lord bringing salvation. He clothes himself. He becomes the intercessor. So who is our intercessor? Jesus Christ is declared in Scripture. Who's our mediator? Jesus Christ is our mediator. Whoever lives to make intercession for us? Jesus Christ, right? God in the flesh. He has become the arm of salvation to a better covenant. What made it better? Is there something wrong with the law? No. No. The law is your mirror. That's what Paul says in Galatians. The law is a mirror. Look in the law. See your sin. Humble yourself. God will lift you up. You become a keeper of the law by following him. Not by trying to follow the law. Are you tracking? I can focus on uh, all the law. I, I think you can keep all 619 or 613 commandments. I think you, you can follow them all. Just don't look at any of them. Well, how am I going to follow them? Just follow Jesus. He kept the law. So I follow him. Well, Jackie, how do you keep the Sabbath if you don't keep the Sabbath? Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. I follow him. I do what he does. I go where he goes. I'm following him. And he makes me right. Because I'm following him. When I screw up, which will happen, what will I do? I will live a life of confession. Lord, forgive me. What does God promise to do? Forgive me of my sins. Confess your sins, and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. True or false? True. So I live a life of confession. I don't pretend. I don't pretend. I know I've been transformed from who I was to who I am today. I know I've been transformed. Now I follow Jesus. I 
follow him till one day I see his face and then I won't have to follow him anymore because I'll always be where he is. That seems like a good deal, right? Uh, uh, there will be a, a, a complete transformation. The Bible calls that glorification when we will become like him. So he has become the mediator of a better covenant. He's the keeper. I follow him. He's the fulfiller. I follow him. I don't have to worry about it all. I just need to follow Jesus. He said, he made the proclamation, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. He said, I am the law. I am the prophets. I am the word of God. It's all wrapped up in Jesus Christ. God's final revelation to mankind. What's the answer? Follow Jesus. Walk where he walks. Go where he leads. He says he has become that intercessor, that mediator, and he will be known. Verse 19, so they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. What are they saying? They're going to know the Lord from the east to the west. That means everywhere. They will know him, the name of the Lord, for he will come like a rushing stream which the wind of the Lord drives. Man, no, no, matter, no matter what happens, sometimes the Bible will use language talking about a flood to describe uh, someone, an invader, someone coming. But the, the ultimate design of the verse is, even if a flood comes, who's driving it? Who's in charge of all this? You? Me? President Trump? Lord's in charge, right? And we just we just trust in him. We trust in him. Keep following him. What if he brings destruction? Well, sometimes he does. But I'm following him. I don't care if flood comes. The flood washes over me. I'm following him. It's not going to wash me away. I'm following him. No matter what. No matter what comes, I want to stay on his highway. I want to go his way. I want to acknowledge him. 1 John 4, 4 says this, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So what if I lose something here? So what? Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. I'd rather have Jesus than anything you put on the other side. And I won't trade him for nothing. I won't do it. I won't trade him for my children. I won't trade him for my stuff. I won't trade him for my wife. He is the greatest treasure of all treasures. And I only, that's what I want. That's the thing. That's what makes heaven great. Are there people who have gone ahead of me that I want to see? Yeah, for sure. But the number one on the list is Jesus. And if he's not there, I don't want it. I just want him. I want to follow him. I want to be where he is. He's the coming redeemer. Look at verse 20. And a redeemer will come to Zion. To those in Jacob. I love how, how God uses that phrase. To those in Jacob who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. Listen to what he's saying. A redeemer will come to Zion. Zion's the word that they use of that Israel. 
you know, the, the Israel Zion, you know, that's a Zionist is someone who's believing in the elevation of the nation of Israel and the fulfillment of all those things that God has promised. But I love what, what, uh, what God does in the second half of the phrase to those in Jacob. Zion is, is what happens when it's transformed by God. Jacob is who Israel is for real, right? Israel means governed by God. Jacob means deceiver. So he's saying, look, to those in Jacob, to those in Jacob who have done what? Who turned from their transgression, who've turned from their sin, who have bowed the knee and said to the Lord, beating their breast, have mercy on me, a sinner. Isn't that what Jesus said when he looked at the two praying? He said, a Pharisee, he doesn't go away justified. But that guy who falls before God and says, have mercy on me, a sinner, he does. Because the Redeemer has come to Zion. He's come for all those in Jacob who repent. All who say, I'm a mess. I'm broke. And God's the answer. He's the deliverer. He's the, he's the keeper. He's the holder. He's, the, he's, a, he's everything. Total, complete reliance on him. We have, uh, we have two comings of the Lord, right? His first coming and his second coming. The first one we experienced, Jesus Christ came. Zechariah 9.9, 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king has come. Righteous and having salvation is he. <laughs> Humble on a donkey. Uh, nobody was excited. Of, there was a lot of people proclaiming his, uh, uh, you know, his salutations to his entrance into the city, right? We, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That was a prophecy that scripture talked about. But a couple of days later, they were all saying something different. Weren't they? Crucify him. Couldn't take very long for the crowd to turn, does it? He came the first time as the lamb, second time as the lion, both times as king. He's the answer. He's the answer. He's how that becomes this. He is the one, and repentance is the crucial hinge pin. Repentance. When Jesus went throughout the, the Galilee preaching, you know what his message was in, according to the Gospel of Mark? Repent and believe. That's not complicated. Repent. You know you're guilty. You know you're broken. You know you're incomplete. Repent. Turn from yourself. Turn to Christ. He is able to save to the uttermost. Completely. And I don't believe he fails. I believe he accomplishes it. We look forward to his return. We look forward to the day when once again he will come to Zion. <clears throat> and the last thing that we see in this provision that God has made, this arm of salvation for those who are broken and, and uh, separated from God through our rebellion and sin, the covenant is eternal. Verse 21, and as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord, my spirit that is upon you, my words I have put in my mouth, and they shall not depart, not from your mouth or the mouth of your offspring or the mouth of your children's offspring. 
from this time till forever. That's a long time, right? Whose covenant is it? God's. This is my covenant with them. Who's the them? The sinners and the rebellious. If you don't fit in that category, then maybe that's not your covenant. Last I checked, that pretty much covers everybody on earth. I don't know about Martians, people that live in other planets. They can solve their own problems. We have enough of our, of our own to deal with, right? So the possession of the covenant belongs to the Lord. What's the promise of the covenant? The presence of his spirit and my spirit will be upon you, right? We saw that in the day of Pentecost. The birthday of the church, the spirit of God that empowers you and I as believers to follow him. It's, it's his provision that allows it. And we see a priority on his word and God's ability to do what I call the tenacity of the text. Yeah, I am a person who believes or follows textual criticism. I believe that there are issues, but I believe in the tenacity of the text. God made a promise. The word I give you is going to go to your children and your children's children and your children's children's children until it comes all the way to the end. And we absolutely, without a doubt, have it. No question. The things we have questions about, we know. And we deal with them as they come up. But God's able to deliver his word. And he's able to deliver it in King James in New King James, in New International, in New American Standard, right, Corey? New American Standard. Uh, ESV, I don't care what letters, NET, I don't care what letters you put in front of it. God's word comes through. It's there. Everything we need. Everything that God says, I'm going to get it to you. And I want you to know this offer, this promise, this thing that God's laid out for us, it is permanent. It's not ever going away. It's not ever going away. It is here from this time forth and forevermore. So he can take me from Jacob and make me Israel. And he does it. By me, confessing him as Lord and Savior and following him. And recognizing when I get off the track, it wasn't God who moved, it was me. So I confess and return. I don't deny. I don't pretend. I just live the real life. Following Jesus. That's the key. For Isaiah, it's prophecy looking to the future. For you and I, it's past the provision's been made it has been accomplished that's the beauty of the book of isaiah it takes us through everything we're going to see in the study of the word of god in 66 chapters we're almost done yeah if you've been here from the beginning i don't think it's two years yet but we're working our way there but it's almost done we've almost come to the end and still what's his point i can take you from where you are to where i want you to be you just rely on me. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time, the opportunity that we have to study, to come, uh, to come to your word and before you, Lord God, and allow your word to teach us and change us and move within us. And so, God, we trust your word and we pray, Lord Jesus, that we would follow it, that we would allow your word to change me. 
<coughs> that I conform to you, not the other way around. So God, I pray that we would be men and women who have pronounced you as our great God and Savior, our King. We bowed the knee to you. And now we're men and women who follow you. We don't pretend to holiness. We reach holiness, but we reach it through you. We reach it by following you. We reach it by staying as close to you as we can. It's your holiness that we have, not mine. It's your righteousness that I walk in, not mine. For he who knew no sin became my sin sacrifice that I might become the righteousness of God. It's something you give us. You looked over mankind and you said, they're not going to make it. So your arm became salvation. Your righteousness became my righteousness. You made a way where there was no way. So God, may we follow you with a whole heart. Look to you, for you indeed are a God mighty to save. God, we give you all the praise and all the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Everyone needs compassion